HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Sabra Spreads, taking your sandwich to the next level. Learn more at Sabra.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here celebrating a wonderful cookbook by author Molly Ye. Thank you. Author of the blog, My Name is Ye. <laughs> but it's Molly on the Range. And what, what's so cool about this book is, is even though I know we're a few years apart in age, it, it feels like the same kind of arc of, of childhood living in a suburban place around a metropolis, you know, eating Lunchables and Wonder Bread, um, and then finding some kind of creative field that brought me to a big city, or you. I mean, again, the parallels are very odd. And again, I, I did some percussion. Um, but what, where we diverge is how you captured yourself in your blog and how you parlayed that into a book that, that you cared so much about, you know, exploring and entertaining and just having fun with food and i got way too serious and the levity of this book is just so wonderful and inspiring that you can talk at such a level that you know it feels like it endears any reader to to not only you but the recipes that that appear here oh thank you welcome thanks i mean let's talk about suburban chicago Cool. And, um, you know, having a father that was in music and led you to music, uh, I mean, what, what was dinner like? Was it as regimented as reading a clef? Oh, um, well, dinner was always homemade by my mom who was sitting in this room and it was great. And the thing was, though, I was a very picky eater growing up. So if it wasn't cheese or noodles or bread or like maybe a carrot or an egg I wasn't eating it so it was um it was pretty casual my mom like took a very casual approach to the fact that I was so wildly insanely picky and just sort of let me eat when I was hungry and let me eat pretty much what I wanted like as long as it was vaguely healthy um and uh so it was it, it was nice though, because then when I grew up and I started exploring all these new foods and trying broccoli and Brussels sprouts in New York, like I didn't have these 
wild, sad, um, scary old memories of never being able to leave the dinner table until I finished my you Brussels sprouts. You just said sprouts. to me, so Brussels sprouts and broccoli, that, that you began trying them in New York? Was oh, yeah. the first time that you ever actually had them? I mean, I'm sure that there were some times when I was growing up that they were sort of forced in to my mouth at some point. Um, my mom's shaking her head. She didn't make me. But <laughs> I like, like that we have a built-in fact checker today, Joe. <laughs> um, no, but um, my dad, he was sometimes pretty strict where um, you know we'd go out for pizza and he'd make me get the spinach pizza. Um, that was not fun. Um, but for the most part, they were pretty chill and, um, and both my parents love food, so it was just great to be around that and to... Um, always be around this idea that food is so exciting and can be so much fun. And so I always just had this uh, approach to that, that that reflected their feelings about food. You know, one of my favorite stories in the book is actually of of you being kind of a broke intern here in New York and um, fixing the Twitter game to win free (laughs) schnitzels for a month. You know, and not only being savvy and, and doing that to, you know, satiate yourself, you got schnitzels, but y- you then reinterpreted in your book in this amazing bao bun. Mm-hmm. I got I had so much schnitzel that month. Oh my gosh, it was so bad. I had to wear like different clothes at the end of the month. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good, and I became really good friends with the schnitzel truck people. And I had such great times just leaving my midtown internship on my bike and just zooming through midtown to try to find the truck where it was that day. It was it was like the predecessor to Pokemon, but at the end you find a schnitzel <laughs> instead of some like imaginary character. Um, and they, they serve it on this, um, amazing soft doughy ciabatta bread. But I grew up having these steamed buns that my mom used to make around Christmas. And, um, they were just soft, white, doughy, everything that I always wanted when I was a little kid. And because that was sort of more in, in my arsenal and, and I was so used to making these steam buns, it just made the most sense that I would make my schnitzel and put it on a bun instead of a ciabatta bread that being, um, in the upper Midwest, it's really hard to get that exact same ciabatta bread as they did at the schnitzel truck. And, um, and so I just sort of compensated and, and made them on a steam bun and they're really good. Yeah. And so these aren't mashups, you know, you have a heritage, which is Chinese and Jewish, which mm-hmm. I know very well because being Ashkenazi and from New York, Chinatown was my Christmas. Of course. Yeah, that's the tradition. But everyone calls that fusion. But this is your life we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, these are all flavors that I grew up with that I'm just so comfortable with and used to. And so to make something like a scallion pancake challah was just, um, it, it was a little bit obvious to me just because I knew scallions and toasted sesame oil and um, and all of these basic Asian ingredients so well. And... Hala is basically my comfort dough. I make everything from hala dough. I make donuts and babka and waffles and, and bread, of course. And so it, it didn't really feel like I was doing anything weird by putting scallion pancake fillings into a, a loaf of hala. Um, it was just part of, part of who I am. Yeah. But it, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't you trying to trick yourself to eat something else, like your father saying, well, yeah, you can have pizza, but put spinach on top of yeah. it. Oh yeah, no. It was just um just what I was comfortable with and um yeah, no. I oh gosh, I can't even eat spinach pizza now. <laughs> <laughs> but you can eat spinach in Federogola. I can eat spinach in Federogola. Um yeah, I've recently come back around to spinach and um thought that it would be fun to have a savory sort of pastry and those were originally supposed to be 
spinach and feta pop tarts until my mom accidentally she was testing the recipe she accidentally wriggled it <laughs> how do you so, accidentally wriggle something uh, I, I don't know she yeah. just loves making rugula and yeah. so she was making it and i thought that's so smart because the ratio of pie crust to filling is way better and it's just fun to say you wouldn't you wouldn't expect somebody to say spinach rugula you have raisin rugula you have cinnamon rugula you have chocolate rugula but Spinach rugula kind of makes you stop a little bit dead in your tracks. So this whole fascination, you know, with cooking and, and you know, projecting your thoughts about it, did it start with Funfetti Cake? Because I feel like that is the u- ubiquitous thing you see associated with your blog. Um, well, that so that came about because of an assignment from Food 52, which was one of the first sites that I ever contributed to. And um, and I love them so much. And they asked me to do this Funfetti cake uh, right after I moved to Grand Forks. And, um, and at first I was like, oh, that's, that's easy. You just put sprinkles in yellow cake. It's fine. It'll be a really easy assignment. And then it turned out to be way, way harder than that because sometimes the sprinkles would sink to the bottom, the cake sometimes would turn out too yellow. So I'd have to take out the yolks and, um, I, I just got obsessive about it and, um, bought every single kind of sprinkle that I could and tested the cake with all these different sprinkles. I used like colored marzipan. I used homemade sprinkles. I used, um, like found objects such as bachelor button flower petals (laughs) and uh, dried cranberries and mint leaves. And, I don't know. I just had so much fun with it. And um, sort of because of those weird experiments and and because it also hits on that nostalgic string and so many people that I associate with and that I, you know, like to share my blog with it, it really kind of took off. And that's definitely been one of the most recreated recipes that I get tagged in on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and in your book, there is that sense of fun behind all these recipes. And, well, there's one recipe in particular which I'm a little annoyed about Uh-oh. because you beat me to it. Oh, no. McSorley's. Oh, so good, right? That, I mean, you don't need a recipe for that. No, but the fact that you, you, you're able to you know interject your life in the book that way and put <laughs> the, the crackers and cheese of, of my dreams in that book, I, I flipped to that page and I went, damn it. That's, that's all I've ever wanted to write about because it is... You should write about it. Is it is literally one... But the best part is that you didn't change it. It is oh, no what one. it is. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of those special things that cannot be changed and that should be written about as much as possible because it is just this iconic thing that is so jarringly simple that anybody can make that I can make out in the middle of nowhere um, and kind of makes me recall all these fun memories of going there with my percussionist friends with my sister's ID before I was 21. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about the middle of nowhere because in Grand Forks is in North Dakota, but on, on the border of Correct. Minnesota. How in the middle of nowhere is it? It's not terribly in the middle of nowhere. Um, it is surrounded by farmland, but within the city we do, or I shouldn't call it a city, within the town we do have a Target and an Old Navy um, and a gap and a diner. Um, and outside of the, the town, there's, we have the first farmstead right outside of town. So it's, um, if I need emergency mayonnaise, it's a five minute drive away and it's fine. Um, but the other direction, if I, if I drive away from town, you can just go for miles and miles and miles and find towns that are maybe 50 people that have a grain elevator and a church and maybe a tiny schoolhouse. 
And so that's kind of what the, the main surrounding areas are. Um, our closest big city is Winnipeg. So it does get quite cold where we are. And, and then to the south of us is Fargo. And, um, and the accents are quite accurate. In that movie. <laughs> you know, being in that area of the world, you move back there because your husband's family's from there. It's yeah. Fifth generation sugar beet farmers. Uh, a place where you can, you know, make pickles and not, not be a hipster. Yep. Um, <laughs> But then you've also learned such amazing things like hot dish, mm-hmm. which I don't think I had ever seen before, but uh, it's certainly going to be part of my re- repertoire. It's, um, it's crazy because living in New York, you think that you can eat everything. You think that you can try every type of different food and get every ingredient. And coming from New York and moving to the upper Midwest, I thought that I would just um, be missing all my old old favorite foods all the time, but there is this huge, amazing, uh, collection of recipes that are up there that I had never even heard of hot dish. I had never heard that word until three years ago. Same thing with cookie salad and jello salad and snicker salad, which are all just as ridiculous as they seem. Um, but they're good. And, and, you know, during the winter, um, when you don't have fresh vegetables, you see why you put them all into a casserole. Like if you're making casserole, you use frozen vegetables or, um, if you're making a salad, you might use canned fruit. So it's, um, it's a really fascinating way to look at what the weather has done for their cuisine. And it's so much fun to kind of put twists on it and use the type of recipes that I learned in New York and Chicago to, to make my own version of them and, um, and make, you know, make like homemade fancy whipped cream to go in my cookie salad and fancy cookies or, um, do a hot dish from scratch using, using a bechamel instead of canned cream soup. And they're really good. And then the Norwegian inflect, you know, Kramkaka, Lessa. Yeah. Where, where did that come into play? So my um, my husband is Norwegian. His, um, let's see, great, great grandfather, five, five generations ago, came over from Norway. Um, and so his family makes tons of Norwegian sweets, and they're so good. And um, some I haven't really learned all of them yet. Like Kromkaka, I've had at parties and everything, but I've never made them. But um, Lefso is sort of the first big challenge that I had as a Midwestern farm wife uh, was learning how you to have flip. these expectations too of being able to do this too, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the first time I made Lefso and it was ripping and, and I couldn't flip it and there was smoke all over the kitchen and flour flying everywhere and I was crying because not only was this one of the first recipes that I truly had no idea how to make, but I was also questioning my ability to be a Midwestern wife to this Norwegian guy who has grown up with Lefsa and who I, you know, has it at every holiday. So, um, I was, it, it was a really horrifying moment, but, um, I had his great aunt-in-law on the other line and she walked me through it. Well, we're going to take a quick break, talk more hot dish, cookie salad, and upper Midwest when we return. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You're probably a sandwich lover. Half the people in America eat one every day. Sabra, maker of America's favorite hummus, just released a new squeezable spread to take your sandwiches from good to great. 
garlic herb on turkey, sea salt and cracked pepper on roast beef, and we've got to try the honey mustard on grilled chicken. The easy squeeze bottles are convenient and you're not even stuck watching a knife. The best thing is that they have 75% less fat than the current leading spread mayo. So whether you're looking to amp up today's lunch, eat a little healthier, or just not be a member of the Mayo Club, Sabra has your solution with their new spreads. They're vegan, kosher, gluten-free, and non-GMO. Look for them in the deli of your local grocer and learn more at Sabra.com. Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Molly A. and her new book, Molly on the Range. And I mean, we were talking cookie salad, hot dish, um, you know, so many upper Midwest classics. But Molly does such a great twist on all these things as well. But I'd, I'd be remiss with her mother sitting right next to me and not talk about matzo brai. Oh, yes. Just because it, it mm. was always a thing of, you know, great pleasure when my mom would make it as well. But she'd always do kind of the sweeter the cinnamon. Versions. You did yeah. cinnamon? Ooh. Maple syrup. Oh, and, uh, mm. oh why, why, the, why the face? I, I don't like it. <laughs> Still a picky eater. Yeah. yeah, I grew up with shallots and salt, lots of salt and Tabasco. And that's how we had our matzo brai. And I mean, explain people what matzo brai is. It's a Passover thing. It's even a Passover thing. You can make it all year round. And I do make it all year round. And I've made it with, um, instead of matzo, I'll sometimes use saltines. And at one really low point when I had no groceries in the house, I used Flamin' Hot Funyuns. Wow. I feel for you. Um, but so, yeah, so, you know, you soak the matzo in a little bit of water and it gets, um, it gets kind of soft, almost like an al dente noodle. And I just love the texture. Um, I love how it's just kind of coated in this eggy mixture and, uh, it's so warming and comforting and, um, and yeah, yeah, I never want to have to wait for Passover to roll around to eat it. So I make it throughout the year. But, but when it is Passover, are you the person that goes and then stockpiles on like the egg and onion matzah? We do not have that in Grand Forks. <laughs> Has to be shipped in. Yeah. We, well, I mean, we do have this itsy bitsy kosher section at our town super target, which, um, I shop there like it's going out of style. Um, uh, but we did try making matzah with wheat from that my husband grew. Um, it, it came out as hard as a rock. <laughs> Um, and so we really got like a jaw exercise while we were chewing it, but it was so much fun. And matzo's hard actually to make to to roll it out that thin. I think we actually tried using a pasta roller, but well, I think anyway. it actually takes like forty years in the desert on your back to make. <laughs> Ding. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was waiting for the laugh track for that one, but let's go to like some of these other ingredients like pimento and za'atar um and even the fillings for samosa knishes that you make if you're in you know grand forks where do you get these things um i make a lot of friends visit me and in order to get into my house they have to give me preserved lemons um or when I go and travel, I bring an extra suitcase that I can go to Calusians or I can go to my spice guy in Tel Aviv and just stock up on everything and bring it all back because we live on a farm and we have room to store all of that. So it's, um, it, you get by. I mean, I, I really, really, really miss Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, but we have a great little organic co-op in town and 
during the summer we have a garden and we're learning how to grow more complicated things. So, um, so I, I'm, I feel good about it at this point. I, I like how you've tricked your friends in a way that they feel invited into their home, but really they're just pack mules. Yeah, yeah, really they're just smuggling in some crazy ingredients for me. But what are you smuggling out of there? Uh, there, there must be things, not <laughs> my hospitality, things, yeah. <laughs> but there must be things there that you're trying to not export, but let the world know about, like hot dish and exactly. you know cookie salad. Uh, what are the ingredients that or new pantry items that you found in mm. Grand Banks? Um, well. As far as specific ingredients, I wouldn't say that there are a whole lot of, you know, very unique ingredients to that area. How they use it is very different. I mean, that they've figured out how to make a very, very warm, comforting dish using frozen vegetables and canned things and things that they've preserved from their summer gardens. And so um, showing other people through the blog and through the book that these warm, hearty middle America dishes can be made using the type of ingredients that people are really drawn to now, the type of, um, fresh and, um, simple, basic ingredients that, you know, if you get these single ingredients, you can put them all together into this middle America dish and it's delicious and it's warming. Um, and it's, you know, I, I think that the Midwest does get kind of a bad rep for having, you know, like processed foods and, um, and these simple foods, but you can really do a lot with them and there are ways to make them from scratch and, um, and saying cookie salad to anybody makes them smile like immediately. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm ridiculously happy thinking about it right now, but again, the Midwest is like one of few places in this country where you could make a Mac and cheese flow chart. And make it actually work. <laughs> Why can't you make it anywhere else? I mean, I, I feel like you said before, it's a vehicle. This dish is, is something that a lot of things can go into. Mm-hmm. And this float chart just kind of proves it. You know, it's, it is the ubiquitous thing mm-hmm. that can happen in the Midwest. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, we don't really have fancy cheese up there. And so, you know, for somebody in my town reading the mac and cheese flow chart, they might go out to the Target and buy any old cheese there and use that. But somebody who lives here and can go to Murray's on their weekend, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous of them. But I want them to be able to use what's available to them. So um, living up there has really been a great exercise in um, figuring out what works for everybody and figuring out options for people and um, almost just you know, using the ingredients like a chop box and um, taking it as a good challenge as opposed to just something to be pissed off about all the time. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really fun challenge and it also makes me appreciate going to Murray's yeah. <laughs> when I'm here. Well, that's, that's the funny thing. You know, you write so much about how you're a homebody and that's why the two of you eventually decided to move to the Midwest. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you certainly show signs of missing New York. The, there are some things that just are really difficult to experience when I'm in Grand Forks. So I went to the ballet the other night, and it was um, this Justin Pack, Sufjan Stevens ballet that I've been watching from afar through the internet um, the whole past year, having crazy FOMO about. And, um, you know, sometimes at at the beginning when I lived in Grand Forks, I would be like, oh, I can just live stream things and sit in my bathtub and it'll be great. But there is really something to be said about 
going there and sitting up front and watching these live performances because they're just so inspiring. Um, so there are specific things like that, that I love coming back to New York for. Um, I think my everyday life though, I just, I love being out in the middle of nowhere and, yeah. and I, I like the ratio now of being out in the middle of nowhere versus live, or being in the city. Um, and feeling good about before when I was living here, I would just, uh, try to get out of the city for like a day to go hiking every once in a while. And, and that was a little bit of a, not as good ratio for me right now. You know, but what's wonderful is everything in this book is transportable. Yes. You know, not, not just the book in its form <laughs> is I can carry it, but all the ideas, all the recipes can really be cooked anywhere because mm-hmm. you've given people a frame to, you know, not only understand them, but execute them with fun, with fervor. I mean, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, if, if, if it's an ingredient that I can get easily on a day to day basis, anybody can get it. So you are, I wasn't going to say lowest, but you are the common denominator <laughs> of, of cooks right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I would, I mean, I love seeing the, the spins that people put on these recipes and using their fancy pancetta and their fancy cheeses. And, um, and my friend just added, I think fennel pollen to one of my hollow recipes and I can't find fennel pollen where I live. <laughs> so I, I love seeing that stuff. But you can probably find it. I'm fennel uh, growing out in the field someday. Yeah. Or I'll make her visit me. And- yeah. <laughs> well, if you are a friend of Molly's or even if you aren't, you know, send stuff to Grand Banks <laughs> <laughs> or, st- or Grand Forks or stop by and uh, uh, see Molly on the range. And if you don't know her and she's not allowing you in because you forgot to bring those lemons, <laughs> get the book, Molly on the Range. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.